morning and welcome to WNHH Radio's High Haven, a program about everything Jewish in our community. Jewish Family Services is an anchor of our community, helping to feed and clothe those in need. And as we'll learn more in today's program, they help create families through adoption. Say good morning to Amy Rashba, JFS's adoption coordinator, and Lori, an adoptive parent whom JFS has helped. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you. you. So nice to see both of you. So if you don't mind, Amy, turning the mic to face you. And so that's the Afro-Semitic experience. They're a group out of Hamden in New Haven of... uh, Jewish and African-American musicians with somewhat of a jazz background who reinterpret classic Negro spirituals and Jewish liturgical movement music in uh, modern formats. They've been around for about 20 years. Ah, nice. And they're, and they're actually playing a big event with Reverend Barber at the National United Reformed Judaism Conference is coming up. So they're, uh, they're definitely the band. And there are theme music every day in WNHH on my show. So uh, anyway, welcome here. And Amy, I learned before we went on the air, and that kind of blew me away, You've been doing this for 30 years? I've been at JFS for 30 years. And how long have you been working on adoption? Well, uh, probably the last 10, 15 years in adoption. And if, if you please get uh, closer to the mic. And uh, Harry's pointing out to something. Oh, we already got comments. Okay. Okay. So anyway, I'm sorry, Amy, a little technical issue here. So 30 years you've been at JFS, 10 to 15 years you've been working on adoption. And what is it exactly that JFS does to help adoptive families? Because my understanding is it's both people who are looking to adopt. Correct. And families where the woman might be pregnant who wants to Correct. put the right. baby so, up for adoption. So what, what's your gig? And right. get real close. Real close. Okay. So uh, we're a full-service family service agency with a child-placing license from the state of Connecticut. And we provide services for adoptive parents and for birth parents, and um, so in terms of the, thank you, in terms of the uh, um, adoptive parents, so when somebody decides that they're interested in adoption, they'll come to us and we'll talk with them about uh, the options that they might have, and we walk them through the process. If they decide to work with us, then they go through what's called the home study process, and uh, within that process, there's a group that uh, everybody attends. It's about eight hours. It's an educational group about the myths and stereotypes of adoption. And you teach that? I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. And adoption from the point of view of the birth parent, adoption from the point of view of the child throughout their life cycle, and transitions for the adoptive family. We uh, tried to have a panel of who I call veteran adoptive parents come speak to the group about the various kinds of adoptions that uh, they might have done. We try to mirror who's in the group and uh, have somebody who can speak about that type of adoption. And then they talk about uh, what their adoption journey has been like. Most of those people would have kids who are a lot older so that the people in the group are very happy to hear about uh, the long term, Mm -hmm. what what that's like. Um, And has anything evolved in adoption? Is there anything new about the way our society is enabling people to adopt, help people to adopt, anything new you've seen change in those sure, 15 sure. years, Amy? So over the, these, these years, um, adoption comes in waves, and depending on what's happening globally, that may change. Years ago, say in the uh, 1990s, early uh, 2000s, there was a lot of intercountry adoption. So there were uh, adoptions from Russia, Guatemala, Korea, China, right, People Ethiopia. take those memorable trips when they're all nervous, what's going to happen, and yeah. meet the kid for the first yeah. time in yeah. China and yeah. all that. Yeah, yeah. It's, very, it's very exciting time for, for families. And uh, so recently, 
uh, there's been a lot of changes. So there are very few intercountry <coughs> options. Huh. I know Russia right was cutting down on it. Uh, yeah. Russia's completely close to Americans. And uh, although there are uh, people you can, if you live in um, uh, uh, in Europe, you can adopt from Russia. But uh, and but most of the uh, intercountry adoptions have closed or will soon be closed. And why is that? You know, some of that is the uh, political climate, global climate. Some of it has to do with how the the what who's called the sending countries, how they feel about what does it say about them as a people that their children are being adopted out of the country as opposed to being taken care of within the country. And I always wondered were there not enough <clears throat> families in our country that with kids up for adoption? Why were people always looking to other countries? Well, you know, I think that it it really sort of depending on what's happening um, again politically and the, what the climate of the country is. So um, years ago, when there were so many options for people with the intercountry programs, most people were choosing those, and we heard very little about domestic infant why was adoption. That? Like, why did people want to have? Well, some I think kids? you know some of that was misinformation about how difficult it might be to adopt. Within our country, like, doing domestic. Easier to go to Colombia or China than well, to go to people Nevada. thought that because they felt like you know when you do a domestic infant adoption in the United States, it can be very risky in terms of the birth parent can change their mind, and uh, each state has its own laws. Connecticut has very strict um, adoption laws, which are are very good because they really are protecting the birth parent and the child. Meaning that they can change their mind. A- absolutely, yes, yeah. That so, is tough if you're a parent. If you're a kid absolutely, is your own, yeah. you're the adoptive that's parent. That's right. That's very tough if you think any day the other parent can come back. And take right, them. but it's not any day, and it is time limited. And within Connecticut, it's you. It's what the um, the appeal period would would be over. Uh, you know, maybe two months after the child is born, but that's a very long two months. And how often does it happen that parents? You know, say what something? I say to people is, it really doesn't matter how often it happens. When you're the one it happens to, it's happened too many times. Yeah, and it's a it's a heart wrenching. Um, so you're experience. saying most of the adoptions now are domestic. Now they are, yeah, because in terms of what's open for intercountry adoptions, there are people, and we have some families who are just now getting on planes to go to China to adopt children with um, what they consider to be special needs, which really might be something very simple. And inconsequential, like a um, a birthmark or a missing finger or something, really? yeah. or it could be something more <clears throat> no. substantial in terms of a medical issue and something that would need to be corrected at uh, at some point. But um, so people are doing that, and um, and some people are still able to do Korea. So and you know, and that's um, you know not probably going to close in the next you know, coming years. I mean, it's, they're really slowing down. So Amy Ross, you said you talk, you could do a course of eight hours for people when they're going to do adoption, get involved about the myths and stereotypes. Right. What are some of those myths okay. and stereotypes? So some people, we ask the people in the group to think about when you hear of uh, someone who is making an adoption plan, what do you think of that person? And so some of the stereotypes would be that that they're young teenagers, that they're uneducated, that they're uncaring, that they're, um, you know, that they're, um, what else can I think of that some of the, the myths would be? Uh, or, or, or the flip side, you know, wh- what, what's the myth of uh, an adoptive parent? You know, that they're very wealthy, that they're highly educated professionals. And the truth of the matter is we get people 
um, that cut across all populations. And most of the birth parents who I have worked with in my time at JFS have not been young teenagers. And we've had people, you know, women and couples who are in their mid-30s. We've had, uh, you know, people who have been married a very long time, who've had, Mm. uh, who have other children Mm. in the family. Mm. So it... The, the stereotype is, you know, like what you see on TV or the movies or Juno. So what would or, be the truth of why people put up children for adoption? So why they adopt one them? of the reasons that people would make an adoption <clears throat> plan would be because they really feel in their heart of hearts that they are at this time in their life not able to raise the child in a way that they would want their child to be raised. And, you know, it could be that um, they don't have support from their families. It could be that they need to continue their education that they're not employed that they um that they're estranged from the um the uh the the other parent could so, be and what would be the reason in your question before we get to Lori? what yeah. was some reasons in general you hear about why people adopt why people adopt oh well infertility is the number one reason why mm-hmm. people come uh although we do have families who have no fertility issues and uh they've always wanted to adopt and uh, and then they do that. All right. Well, you're listening to High Haven on WNHH Radio. It's a program about everything Jewish in our community. And today our guests are Amy Rashba of Jewish Family Services Adoptions part, uh, Program and a Lori, who's a parent who has adopted a child through JFS. And I get the sense, I'm just guessing here, that you know I heard Amy talk about how she brings people back who have gone through the program to help other parents who are going through the program. You sort of form a community and you pass on the knowledge. You, You've stayed connected to JFS through this? Um, we have, my, my, my family and myself. Um, and I was laughing because as we were talking, we Amy and I met in two, probably 2010, 2011. So it's been eight years and we adopted our daughter in 2013. So why did you want to adopt a daughter and why, or a child and why did you go to Jewish Family Services? Um, JFS, um, Jewish Family Services, and Amy in particular was recommended um, by a friend. And... Um, and why did we adopt? We had some infer- we had some infertility issues, um, and then pretty quickly um, moved to adoption. It seemed when I was a little girl, I wanted to adopt, um, and it seemed like the right thing. When you were a little girl, you wanted to adopt. I did. That's so interesting. <laughs> Tell did. me about that. Um, that. It was something that I just imagined. I told my parents that I was going to adopt. And, and did on you see the, that my, the second like a generous day- act, or what? Um, no, I, I don't know why I was, you know, five or six or something like this, right? That's so interesting. I don't know how many five or yeah. six year olds think that. Yeah. Um, and then as an adult. And happens. then as an adult, yeah, on my, on my second date with my husband, um, I told him at some point I was going to adopt just to lay it on the line. So. <laughs> and do you kind of feel like kids need a home and you want to be a parent to provide <clears throat> that home? No, you just want to, you want to give love. Mm-hmm. You just want to give love, right? Um, and yeah, that was that was. So you met Amy in 2010 and 2011. You adopted mm-hmm. in 2013. Did it take several years for it, that process? It did. I see, mean, that I didn't know. Yeah, it's it's a lengthy process. Part of it was um, there was a pause <clears> on our part because we moved to houses. Um, so there's a bit of delay in the process. But it is, you know, there's a lot of paperwork. There's you know federal paperwork that you want to be cleared by, by the FBI and by your local police. The and, FBI. By the FBI. So you, you yeah. can't be on a no-fly list. You, right, right. 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 No fly list. Right. If you can fly a plane, then you're in the pool potentially. Right. Dollars. Right. Yeah. Right. That's. They should have that as a check mark. But um, um, yeah. So um, there's a lot of paperwork. So there's um, you have to be cleared by your local police, by the FBI. I'm actually glad about all that. When you think about the horrors of what happened to children, sometimes it's great that they're yeah, so no, careful. Yeah. No. It's it's quite yeah. it's quite thorough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are home visits. 
Um, so there are two, Amy, I think there's two. One to the home one and to two the home. in the office, plus the group. So. Plus the group. And is that the JFS comes and does the home visit? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and, and what happens? Do you get nervous for that? Of course. Is, yeah. Of course. You know, you, you, know, you want to make sure your, your home is ready for, uh, for, to, to welcome a child. Um, and Amy, you know, I praise Amy all the time or as much as I can because she's, oh, you know, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And, and I'll bring my, tell people, I don't worry if, unless your house is really a wreck. You don't right. need to go around dusting. We're not and coming actually, around with after a glove. the kid comes. My wife, my kids are in their mid-20s, and we were watching an old video when one of them was a baby. And your house is the wreck after they come because yeah. my daughter <laughs> right, used to exactly. pull everything, all the books off right. the bookcase and everything. So we had like mattresses piled up against bookcases <laughs> and barricades on the shelves. Yeah. So they do come six months afterwards. So yes, you do want to, sure, right. you have to wait a little while before you put the mattresses up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, um, and then since then, so we adopted in 2013. So, um, it took about roughly about, you know, probably about a year and a half for paperwork. So you're in there for a while. You're, you're in saying, there for a I'm while. Committed. This is yeah. showing you're committed to this by going in for so long. It's a commitment. And during that time, you also attend the, the workshops that Amy talked about. What um, were those like? What, what sticks out in your mind a moment? You know, the, it was funny when Amy talked about the, the stereotypes of adoption, I mean, the one thing that Mats and I, my husband and I both remember is, um, op- you know, the difference between open and closed adoption. What um, is the difference? Um, a, <clears throat> an open adoption is where the the child has some sort of relationship with the birth family. They know of the birth family. Amy, correct me if I'm saying nope, any of this incorrectly. Um, and a closed adoption is when the child has no knowledge of their mm. birth family. Um, and there are um, myths and about open adoption. And to be honest, when my husband and I went into this, we were not interested in open adoption and then once we were educated about why this actually the whole point is why this is beneficial for the for the child um you know we decided that we would we would be open to having an open adoption you know i, I know there are three people in my life who um were adopted and as adults went through this very hard process mm-hmm. of finding out who the parents were and then mm-hmm. they it's a very dramatic process and then had the parents in their lives is there are there cases in closed adoption where you never get to know who the parents are? Do you know how yeah, that works, yeah. Amy? Yes, that's exactly how it but works. But don't states have different laws that you can go uh, through? States have different laws. And then in Connecticut, since um, it was just changed, um, I can even tell you I brought that with me. The, Amy, if um, you don't mind getting real close to the mic. Okay. Um, where was it? I just want to, I, I need to see in order to do this. Um, so if there was an ad- uh, someone whose adoption was finalized on or before October 1st, 2015, they now have the right in Connecticut to access mm-hmm. their original birth certificate because what happens in Connecticut is that when an adoption is finalized, a new birth certificate is created and the old one is sealed, which mm-hmm. means you can't get at that. So what's so wonderful, we think at JFS, um, about open adoption is that the that takes away the secrecy of adoption. So back, you know, in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, there was an incredible amount of secrecy. Some people didn't even know they were adopted. And again, you know, there's well-intentioned decisions that are made, we make right. in society, and we think <clears throat> right. about what's best for kids, and then generation later we decide that was wrong-headed. Right. But what about closed adoptions? Can someone find out as an adult who their adoptive parent was? Well, so these days there's only about 5% of adoptions are closed adoptions. Oh, okay. So that's you know, sort of a national um, statistic, um, what's happening currently. But we get calls all the time at JFS about uh, people, adults who are searching. I've had a, I've had 70-year-olds call me 
and and want to search you know to get information what's in the file and then you know we have the um all the records are they're in locked um secure files and you're not allowed to give records out and closed adoptions no you can't give the records but i am allowed to and there's certain uh, regulations that need to be met um we we talk with people who want to do any kind of search and if they don't if they come to us if they're here if they're not uh we help them find an agency and somebody who's uh, fluent in adoption issues so that uh, they can really explore why now and what is it that you want to know and how might you feel if that person doesn't want to meet you. There are birth parents who never tell somebody that they were pregnant or that they made this adoption plan. So uh, it can be, you know, it can be very difficult. And what's so nice about the openness is that some, for some children who are adopted, they can be pining away for information. They want to look in the mirror, you know, why is it I'm short? Why do I have curly hair? Why do I, why are my eyes blue? Why do I do this or that? And again, when kids get to be about four years old, they really start to notice the differences. And so if you have a transracial adoption, obviously they're noticing that. Um, and what age do you tell them? You, you, what we say to people is that there's never a point in time that you sit somebody down and say, hey, guess what? You were adopted. It should be something that you're weaving in all the time. So we, I talk with the families, my families, about talking about adoption from the second you have that child in your arms. And maybe you'll, if you're going to have contact with the birth parents, maybe you're going to put a photo of them on the, uh, the, in the child's bedroom and you're, you're going to talk about you know, your adoption story. And that's really to get the parents comfortable in terms of talking about adoption openly. Of course, the kids have no, you know, they're babies. They have no idea what you're saying to them. So it just make becomes- Make it normal. Make it normal. Exactly. Right, exactly. And we're making it normal talking about adoption here on WNHH Radio's High Haven. WNHH 103.5 FM, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. And we're visiting with Amy Rasper from Jer- Jewish Family Services, who handles adoption there. And Lori, he went through. So Lori, you did an open adoption, like 95% of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you do that from, like, how old was the, your daughter when she came to live with you? Um, I was in the delivery room and my husband was in the hospital. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had a good relationship with the mother? Um, <clears throat> we, we do. We do. It's, it's um, wonderful. It's a... Uh, I, I, you know, I think the one thing about open adoption is that every, every birth family, every adoptive family and every child is, is different, right? So there isn't kind of one uniform way of saying this is how an open adoption should be. Um, so it's really, you know, it's navigating. There's a lot of emotions as you can imagine involved yeah. on all, on, from all parties. Um, so it's really just, I think the, the foundation is being committed to the relationship for the long haul. And is this a local person? I'm not going to ask you details. But no. Mm-mm. So you had to travel out of state for yeah. this? It was, you know, you said, talked about the excitement about traveling overseas. We had the excitement of driving. Um, but it's, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like, still emotion. So like, every night I'm going to be getting this call, then all of a sudden you're going to, you're watching TV at like 1130, watching the news, and uh, you get a call, hurry yeah, up, drive I was, out of state. I, I was in a work meeting and uh, said, are you, are you interested? Yes. Great. That was quick. Great. That all happened yeah, fast. Great. Yeah. How far did you have to drive? A uh, couple hours. Wow. And she didn't give birth within those hours. No, no. We had a solid, we had a solid 24 hours. Because <laughs> there was a chance, right? Right. No, there was a chance. Yeah. We collected her cheesecake around New Haven, <laughs> our Italian markets, and, and brought and it what with Amy us. said, that was so interesting to me. Before your daughter could, so you took the daughter home with you. Mm-hmm. And before she could speak, were you already talking about the birth mother mm-hmm. putting the photo we, up? Um, because we were in the hospital together, we had um, photos of the birth mother oh, and, and nice. myself with That's the daughter. Wonderful we thing. often, when we're, when we're working with the birth parents at JFS, when that, uh, we have that situation happen, we always get pictures together with everybody together 
while the the mom is pregnant because it's a wonderful gift for your child to be able it to is. show yeah. them when you create that the photo. story. Right. Yes. You so document we, right. the story yeah. so the Absolutely. kid can see it and believe mm-hmm. it. Right. So we have uh, we created a book um, called Three Months with our with our daughter, and since she we you know since we had a rocking chair and could read to her, which was you know a month old or whatever it was, she, she's we would read the story to her. So she's very. That's a com- nice story. She gets to be the star of the story. She gets to be the star of the story. Right. <laughs> the main character. Right. right. That's so yeah. nice. And then you get to do the commentary on this. <laughs> we were so happy we got you right. I'm just guessing. No, right that's here. that's exactly it. And right. uh, and has your daughter talked about it with you now? She's four years old. She 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 has. So at different developmental stages, you introduce different parts of of this of the her story. Um, so now she knows that she was in her birth mother's tummy, um, and that she knows when she was born she was a gift and i was there and she was there and her father was there and um how excited we was that we became a family um so yeah so she will talk to people and said i was in i was in so-and-so's <clears throat> tummy and now and, and now Lori, how do you expect to have other children too no one child mm-hmm. and do you um i guess amy is it do you also when you work with these <clears throat> families years out do you anticipate at other stages of development, teenage years, young adult, when is going to come up again? Absolutely, and how do you deal right. With that? Yeah, and we're there. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been there so long that I'm getting calls from families where I've actually placed that baby in their home. So, they uh, we get get calls like that all the time. And you and had people, a picnic recently. I heard you saying we where did. A lot of yes. How, how many yes. families came back? How many? Maybe ten or so at that one. So we, get, we usually do that at the end of August. So it's kind of hit or miss who's on vacation, who's not on vacation, but. Uh, I think that's what's really wonderful about our program is that people make connections. So I have families who are very tight, very good friends with other couples who they met in the home study group and that they get to get, even without us, they get together and they have, uh, they formed relationships and their kids are growing up knowing one another, which is what's it's one of the things that I like so much about having the social gatherings is because the kids see that, oh, here's a family that looks like mine. Here's a family... Um, you know, that we have this in common and that when you say to your child, oh, we're going to, we're going to see Amy, we're going to the adoption picnic. And there's another way that you're talking about adoption all the time. Amy, I got a sense listening to Lori of some of the ways you would help her and other people in their situation, adopting children, everything from the technical with the paperwork and <clears throat> reviews and the visits and the emotional then preparing sure. or read the sure. stories you document it. What about the, the mothers who are going to give up the, the birth mothers? What do you tell them and what do you do with them? Okay, so when working with a birth parent, it's, it is the most heart-wrenching part of my job. And um, it is, I feel such a, um, um, a bond with the birth parents and getting to know them. And I feel like it is really my, um, it's like a sacred journey that I'm taking. And they're mm-hmm. entrusting Jewish Family Service to help them make this plan, which is, it's an absolutely gut-wrenching uh, th- difficult thing to do, even if someone feels like this is what's best for my child. It is incredibly difficult to do. And so I just feel that it is, um, you know, that, you know, we really need to provide the best services that we can. And we help birth parents in any way that we can. So some will come for counseling afterwards. We're always there for families. And for how often have you seen people you've worked with changing their mind and taking the baby back? You know, I have to say that uh, in my time at JFS, it only happened one time, but it was horrendous when it happened. I mean, it was, um, you know, we placed the baby out of the hospital, which is, a you know, in Connecticut, it's a very big legal risk. 
and for the adoptive parents. And then we, um, I spent that time with them in the hospital and the nurses teaching them how to take care of the baby and they go home and I come in the next day and there's a voicemail waiting for me and I had to call them and that was just horrible. Well, at least it was one day rather than... Right, right. It really doesn't... Yeah, yeah, it's... You know, when I, like I said, if you're the one it happens to, it's it's very tough. Now, how did Jewish Family Services get started offering adopt services? So you've been there 30 years. You've been doing this 10 to 15 years. Right. JFS has been doing adoption since the 1940s. Wow. So, and we did, and oh, and you know, you look through our, the old records and you really see the evolution of uh, social work too, just by going through the records. Um, so we've always done adoption. Adoption was really one of the very first programs that JFS had. And was it was a big need, I guess, in the 40s, was during the war? Yes, right? the, yeah, there were. So here's what's different now about, um, and and when you asked before about why did some people do intercountry. So back in the 40s, the 50s, when it really was very difficult for a, a young woman to raise a child on her own, there was the whole um, stigma. To stigma, exactly. So, you know, yeah. we live in Connecticut. It's There's not a stigma to be a, sti- a single parent. So, but back in those days, I mean, there were women, if they, professional women working as teachers, nurses, whatever, if they had, um, if they were pregnant and were not married, they would lose their job. So it was a very different world. Wow. Yeah. And what, what's Jewish about us? I know that you don't have to be Jewish to go right. to Jewish Family Services. Right. Some of the people who help are Jewish, some are not. Why is it Jewish Family Services and what about this is Jewish? I think everything we do at Jewish Family Service, even though... Um, that we're, all of our programs are open to all people, that we operate under Jewish values. And it, I, I think what makes us, especially our adoption program, so different from other agencies is that we really, we're not in the adoption business like other um, entities mm-hmm. might be. We're really a, a family ser- licensed family service agency, licensed child placing agency, and we can facilitate adoptions. So we, um, and um, what what makes us Jewish is that we're very ethical, and that is our. Uh, to me, I think that's the the best part about doing adoption. And even though lots of people aren't Jewish, should come to you, I would assume that a Jewish person might be more likely. To Absolutely, come to you. yo, sure, sure. And how, Lori? How'd you come to link up with Jewish Family Services rather than some other outlet? You know, it, it, it's. It, <laughs> You know, it was a friend that recommended JFS and we did interview, right? So we went to other adoption agencies and interviewed. And I think to Amy's point, I mean, one thing that came through very clearly is kind of the integrity of JFS. Um, because now, now, again, now having an eight year relationship, seven, eight year relationship, you know, I, we didn't know this at the time, but you see how having somebody like an, like Amy, who, knew you when you started on this process, on this journey, and um, and then was there at when it was happening. You seem so confident about it and at peace with it, of having gone through this and how it all worked out. I have my moments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, no I, mean, I, I, do, I mean, I do have this, I do have this trust in how this, how this what happened, right, and, right. and where things nothing are right now. Can, nothing can substitute for trust. And, um, and, and honestly, I do, you know, Amy and I talk, um, you know, regular, regularly, um, we do, um, about, about what's happening. What was so, the most challenging moment about becoming an adoptive or being an adoptive parent? Either the process of getting there or what happens when you're bringing up the child? You know, I, 
ask me in 15 years. <laughs> no, I think because uh, that'll be the most difficult. That'll moment. Be the, that'll, that might be the most difficult moment. You know, I think there's, I, I can't say there's been one most difficult because they've, there've been difficult moments and they've been, um, they've been unique, right? So one, you know, one is, um, the relationship with, with the birth family and, and navigating that. And, and how is that now years later? Um, it's, it's evolving, right? Again, I think this concept of open adoption is relatively new and, um, you know, I'm kind of a research guru, so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be like, okay, where's the latest research on evidence on how this is. And I, I you know, I, I think that, um, again, each relationship, each open adoption is different and to approach it that way. And, and that's how we approach it. The, the ultimate goal is that, is this relationship good for our, good for our daughter, right? Is this relationship good for our child? Um, and so long as both parties are committed to that, right? That you, you kind of, you put your own needs aside and you really need to think about what is best for this child. And, um, you know, and that's going to evolve over time. So when you ask me about what's the most difficult part, I think, oh, you know, 15 years, you know, give her, when, when she's and a Amy, you talked about that one time that the mother changed her mind, how challenging that was. What was the moment that you can remember? You said, this is why I do this. This is why I've been oh, doing it for at least I 10 have years. those moments all the time. Sitting here listening to Lori is, is one of those moments. You know, every holiday season when I get all these um, picture cards and holiday greetings from my families who I see the children, um, you know, getting older before my eyes, that it's, it's wonderful. You know, when I go to a finalization hearing and the, uh, the parents are there and the room is filled with relatives and friends are all there to support the family. There, there's l- so many days I have like that. All right, well, These picnics that we do and I get to see the kids and I ran into somebody in the supermarket the other day who I haven't seen in a while and it was, uh, it's great. To, which aisle were you in? I, we were at the checkout aisle that time. <laughs> yeah. so that's a good way to pass the yeah. time. It was a nice way to pass time to talk to Amy Rashba and Lori about adopting children, the work Jewish Family Services does. Hey, if anyone wants more information on this, you can Google Jewish Family Services. There's a section under Program Services about adoption. you find it in two seconds, even I did, or jfsnh.org, and you click on Program Services. You can call them. Here's the number, 203-389-5599. It's extension 106, and again, it's Amy Rashman. Hey, oh, really 113. Enjoy- I'm sorry. Yeah. 113. Oh, 113. <clears throat> it was really nice to meet both of you. Thank, thank you. you. Amy, thank you. Thank you, Lori, for taking the time. Thank and you. I wish you best of luck. Thank you. Thank you for joining Thanks for us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having High us. Haven. Thanks, We're going to take it out with the Afro Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD A Plea for Peace. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book your flight with us all night long here at WNHH, New Haven's home. Community Radio.